All right, Josh Smith here. We're at my studio, live from Flat 5. My guest today is one of my just favorite artists out on the scene. Obviously, he's a tremendous guitar player, but he's a great writer and a great singer, and he really has his voice, which is something we all strive to do in this world. And in, in the world that I come in, the, in and come up from, the blues and blues rock world, it's, it's actually kind of not a good thing sometimes to have your own place, your own voice, your own vision. And this man has that. He really has found his sound. And that's the stuff that excites me, man. I really love your music. So it's a pleasure to have you on here um, in Chicago right now. He, but he, he hails from the Isle of Man over in the UK. But give it up, Davy Knowles. <laughs> Yeah, cheers very much, mate. You're making me blush. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Well, it's true. Like, in the blues world, there's not always an onus put on trying to write great songs, trying to do something new. It's either, oh, mm. you're a historian or you're just some blues rock fraud, you know? And that drives yeah. me crazy uh, because there seems to be no middle ground for people who really love the blues and respect it and have done their homework but also at the same time are trying to be honest to themselves and push things forward. Um, and I really hear that in your music and in your playing, man. That means the world, man. And, and I think you've, you've said it beautifully. And, and you know, the, the, the folks that I grew up listening to had always kind of occupied that spot of, of you know, progressing it, I guess, in, in some, some degree. Um, when I listen to John Mayle, for example, and you, you listen to the, the songs that he writes, uh, he might do it in a very traditional way sometimes, but man, what a great storyteller. He always made it relatable, you know, to, to someone of his upbringing, of, of his corner of the world. And, and I, I've always admired that. I've always admired accessibility. Uh, I, did, I didn't grow up in the deep south. I didn't, I didn't grow up. I, I grew up on a tiny little island in the middle of the Irish Sea. And so... It was difficult for me to, to relate to all of that as much as I loved it musically. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing people don't necessarily realize when they somehow fall into this role of savior, survivalist, historian of music, you know, and the people that they idolize and that they're out there, you know, copying basically and trying to preserve uh, those people yeah. were being honest to themselves. They were playing what they heard and felt and relaying the ex experience of their life. And if you are influenced by them, what an injustice it is to, to their music if you don't do the same. If you're just listen, if you're just mm -hmm. aping their shit and, and not mm -hmm. doing anything new. I mean, they were playing to the best of their ability on the best gear that they could afford and writing and mm -hmm. playing the best that they possibly could in their world. And they would be embarrassed yeah. to know that you're maybe not doing that. You're just, oh, I'm just going to do what that guy did, you know? And yeah, so that. Absolutely. Yeah. That stuff drives me crazy yeah. and I could talk about it forever. Mm -hmm. So we'll get off of it. Oh, man, I, I found out very, very, very quickly that I'm just never going to be able to play a 12 bar like Albert King is. Or, you know, I'm just never going to get near to that. So, so you just, uh, I, I guess it's just kind of trying to combine everything and, 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 find just whatever tiny little gap you feel you can fit into yeah. um, that makes you feel good. You know, it's, it's just, um, yeah, man. And, and I think being a purist gets you nowhere. I, I, it's, there's just so much great music out there. And I just think it's uh, important to listen to as much and absorb as much as you possibly can. And 
Yeah. I, I like that what you were saying there about you know, uh, you're doing people an injustice. If you're even looking at the blues side of things, um, just just how broad a genre that is. Mm -hmm. You're going from Alan Lomax field recordings all the way up to, you know, uh, modern blues guys, your Joe Bonamassas, your Kenny Wayne Shepherds, and, and the, the differences uh, um, stylistically between that, all under this umbrella. Um, I think that's something to be celebrated, the diversity Absolutely. of it. Uh it should be celebrated. It mm. should be rewarded and championed. You know, we're trying to, mm -hmm. at the same time, show our love and respect for the music that basically is responsible for us and is the foundation <laughs> of what we do. But at the same time, mm -hmm. be ourselves, which is the goal. Yeah. Things, you know. Yeah. Especially as we're improvisers too. And my goodness, mm -hmm. you know, the whole goal of improvisation is to tell your story. If you're improving in character, that's acting. That's not improv. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> that's reading a script. Yeah, man, well said. Yeah, so, all right. Yeah. Moving backwards, though, when <laughs> did, did the light switch get flipped for you? I'm, I want to know, how, who put the guitar in your hands the first time? Do you have a musical family or not? Were you on your own? Or was somebody needling you or teaching you stuff? How did it start for you? Um, there was there was always music in my house. I wouldn't say we were a particularly musical family. My dad played um, a lot of acoustic guitar. He was massively influenced by the English folk movement of the 60s. Mm -hmm. Bert Jansch, John Remble, and the Pentangle, yeah. um, that side of stuff. He loved the, in, uh, the Invisible String Band, which was this madcap. They were totally mad. But, um, but he also loved the British blues boom and... John May on the Blues Breakers, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. So from an early age, I was listening to all of that. And my dad was playing, you know, Puff the Magic Dragon, you know, <laughs> yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have an older sister and she really got into Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and that whole singer-songwriter thing. And so I was listening to that too. And then when she found this, this magazine called The Blues Collection, it came with a cassette tape every, every fortnight. And uh, she was introducing me at that stage. I must have been about seven or eight, maybe at this point. She was forcing me, really, <laughs> to listen to Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry and John Lee Hooker and Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf and all of these kind of uh, cassette tapes that she was getting, she was sharing with me. So... This was before I'd picked up a guitar. And then when I was 11, my dad had picked me up from a friend's house. And on the way home, he put in this cassette tape of Dire Straits. Mm. And it was Sultan's a Swing. And that was immediately like, Dad, you got to show me how to play this. And he's like, I have no idea how to play this, but we can get you started. Uh, and so, so from then on, really, it was just, I wanted to be Mark Knopfler. It was that, that whole solo at the end, that, that was it. That was, I'm going out buying a headband and I want to be Mark Knopfler. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, man, it's amazing how, you know, the way you experience something first, it just kind of sets you off down this path. And it, yeah, you're just in the car and that song comes on. That's the way I felt the first time I heard B.B. King start a slow blues. My dad put on mm -hmm. probably live at the Regal. It might have been Blues is uh, King. I don't know. But he had my dad had a he's not a musician, but he had a giant vinyl collection. 
And yeah. we listened to the Allman Brothers, the Stones, Hendrix, and I liked all that. But he put on BB King, and I, you know, I heard the whatever. Yeah. And it was like the heaven, you know, the skies parted, uh -huh. and that's it's all very clear now. Like that, that's that's yeah. it. That's what I've been waiting for. You know, my cue basically. Um, uh huh. It's amazing. Yeah, just a, just happened. a flash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, sure. okay, so, so do you, do you take lessons then? Do they find you somebody to, to hang around with to study with, or are you teaching yourself? So I, um, I signed up for guitar lessons at school with an incredibly patient man called Mr. Lum. And, uh, I just, I'm kind of ADD. I, I have a real short attention span with these things. And he was doing the exact, you know, correct thing to do of right let's learn how to read music let's you know let's start way from the bottom and quite frankly it was i don't want to do that man i want to be able to play telegraph road you know all the way through um and so i ended up learning a few kind of rudimentary things from him for sure but mainly my guitar lessons were i would skip class to go and jam with him and he was incredibly accommodating and very nice. Um, but all the while, I had this VHS of Martin Offler live in London. Mm. And I was just watching it and over and over and over again, trying to get Sultans of Swing Down, this live version that he did. And so really, that was my, my first note for note kind of solo, was I'd learned watching him kind of where his fingers were going. There can't be too many notes, you know, in this little spot here. So figuring it out from there um, with a bit of guidance. And so that I never really start. I never got any grades. I never took any exams with it. But uh -huh. yeah. Well, OK, so you live in a really, you know, small, not hugely populated spot. So what happened when you started to get better? Because obviously you're probably progressing very fast because you're obsessed. You're probably super into it and working really hard. Uh -huh. So what happens when, when it's time to, you know, get together and, and find an outlet for this? Uh, what do you do? Who do you play with? Where, you know, where do you start finding ways to, you know, to grow? The, the first thing, the first thing I really did was there was a, a small blues festival on the island. And I sent them a, I think an email early email kind of thing and it was um hey can i come and sit in i don't have a band but i can play a little and i just really want to meet people and, and play and the other man is a really close-knit community i mean it's really tight-knit and they said yeah come on down come and play bring an amp you know this is the time i went to this pub kind of it was a blues festival open mic situation and i went and sat in with a band and i ended up joining them they're all my dad's age mm. and my dad you know kind of knew them you just you knew you knew everyone um and i ended up joining them when i was 13 or 14 and uh i mean the great thing back home was there was no real drinking age in a pub right if you if you behaved yourself at 15 you could order a pint you know mm. um and that led to a lot of great live music because uh, kids could go in and play and and not worry about you know getting caught you could fly under the radar really easy right um so yeah, I was gigging from about 13, I guess, with, with this band, Roadhouse. Um, and then that led to playing with a singer-songwriter called Barry Nelson, which really kind of got me out of the, the blues band thing and into more song-oriented stuff. And 
uh, and then I, at about 15, 16, I, I really wanted to form my own band and I found some guys at school. Um, and that was the beginning of Backdoor Slam. That was uh, the first band that came over to the States. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how fast it goes yeah. when, you know, once you start playing with mm. adults, like I can relate to that story. I mean, going to a blues jam because I was frustrated, couldn't find anyone my age who liked what I liked or who was quite honestly as dedicated as I was to, to working and being better. Um, so I went to blues mm. jams, played with adults. They saw the cliche, you know, possibilities and asked me to start playing gigs with them because more people would show up to see the novelty of this little kid. And next thing you know, I'm playing, you know, yeah. three, four nights a week as a 13 year old. And that's just, you know, yeah. and uh, once that happens, you're hooked for life. I mean, there's no going back, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's just, Agreed. it's such a great feeling, man. That's, but it, oh, it does okay. go quick though. You're right. Yeah. yeah it goes just really how, fast. How, how fast that. Yeah. It was it, mad to grow, look at it like that you grow leaps and bounds literally weekly almost on those gigs. You know, the experience, right. gained, it's, it's so fast. I've been digitizing a bunch of videos of myself from that period lately, just before uh. the VHS goes away. And the one thing that struck <laughs> me while I'll watch for 30 seconds and then turn the volume off and just let it run. But one thing that struck me was like the difference in my playing from 13 to 13 and a half to 14. And then really, whoa, 15. It was like, I was like a whole nother person. And also I looked yeah. completely different. I shot up a foot, you know, but whatever it was like, wow, I was progressing so fast, but you don't notice it then. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah and, and you know, um, I think it's the social aspect, right? You've gone from playing in your bedroom, playing in your bedroom and, and gathering a load of licks and, and what you think is, you know, the right thing to do. And then suddenly you, you have to interact with human beings who are constantly moving, constantly doing different things and you have to react to it. And you have to think on your feet like that. And I, I often wonder in, first of all, you know, in the lockdown situation that we're in right now, and, but also the remoteness of everything that the, the, the kind of Instagram genre that has popped up. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing music is such a massively social thing. And I feel like it is, um, you know, a person-to-person -person interaction in the room. I just, I wonder what's going to happen, you know, as things kind of, I, I just see this huge genre of, of Instagram guitar players who are wonderful musicians, God, far better than I am. But it's the social aspect of music that I really love. And, oh, yeah. and I, I wonder if that's going to suffer or it's just going to, am I being a dinosaur now? Is this just going to no, progress mean, as well? You know, it's, it's suffering right now because of the pandemic, obviously I'm, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. quite honestly, I'm struggling with it, you know, because I could sit here all day long and, and, you know, start off a blues. Whatever. And that's an improv, right? I just improvised 12 bars and it was okay. But that's improvisation in a fucking vacuum. It's not living and breathing. Sure. And I've spent 30 years improving with other musicians, you know, and mm -hmm. that's literally, I would say, tied to 90% of my being. Like, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's gone. It's just gone. Yeah. So like, I, I don't get as any, okay. It's not that I dislike what I just did, but that's practicing. You know what I mean? And yeah. But I'm, I'm just trying to think if I could play like you're suffering, <laughs> but you, I'd be you all know right. The feeling like I would literally 
I would beg, borrow, or steal right now to play a shuffle with the worst musicians in the world for an hour right now, straight. Yeah. I'd play one yeah. shuffle where the, if, I don't even care if the guy could play. Whatever. I'd play that for an hour right now with with people just to have that outlet because it's been taken yeah. from me. You know? I Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the psychological effect for sure. This is this is what I've done since I was nineteen, and so to to have that you're not allowed to do this anymore. That's that's really tough. That's that's a really tough kind of uh, thing to wrap my head around. But yeah, man, that, the whole social aspect of it it pushes you to play better. Um, I mean, being a kid uh, playing with a bunch of guys your dad's age, you know, you're the worst musician in the room. And I think that's what you should strive to be, right? Is always, always. try and be the worst musician. Um, and I love that. I, yeah, I, I love that quote Martin Offler came up with, uh, or, or at least I, I heard him say it. And it was just, um, I am the worst musician in my band, but because I write the songs, they can't fire me. And I just <laughs> thought that was, that was brilliant. And, and, and I, I always kind of wanted to be, you know, more that guy of, of, you know, this is this is my kind of you know, these are my songs. This is my brain, but but you can play them a lot better than I can, kind of thing. You know, this yeah. is. I love yeah, that. I mean, when you get around better musicians, again, it accelerates mm. your growth, and it's a it's extreme motivating factor. Like you want to live up to your end of the bargain when you're around these guys. Yeah. You know, it's like so that was for me. It was always incredibly motivating. If I made a mistake on a gig one week and someone mentioned it to me. Normally, they didn't even have to. I just knew that mistake would mm -hmm. never happen again on next week's gig. Never, never again. That yeah. same mistake, you know. And yeah, that's and that, that was the beauty of gigging too. Was that that you make a mistake the next night, you have an opportunity to put it right, you know. And and that's that's a wonderful training ground. Absolutely, man. All right, so so you start then backdoor slam with guys from school, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. There were four guys, um, four of us. Um, so it was uh, Adam jo uh, Jamie Armstrong originally on bass. We had Ross Doyle on drums and uh, a friend of ours, Brian Garvey, on rhythm guitar. And, and sadly, when we were 16, we lost Brian and another friend of ours in a car accident. Mm. And uh, that was kind of, uh, from then on, we, I mean, I never had a rhythm guitar player after that. It just felt really weird replacing him. But we, we really kind of were like minds and we really... Um, wanted to write music and we really wanted to play original music. It wasn't just going out there to the bars and playing. Um, you know, we play a few covers, but it was, no, it, we really want to hammer home that we write songs and we are, you know, an original band. And, and, and it went really well. I mean, the Isle of Man was such a small place, but we could play, you know, four nights a week, really, while we were still at school. Um, and it was, it was fabulous. We felt, you know, like we were conquering the Isle of Man, you know, big fish in a little pond. And then it came to, yeah, university time and, and we decided to give it a gap year. Our bass player left um, and uh, we got Adam Jones in. And then at the end of that year, we, we got a record deal and we came out to the States and it was off to the races, you know, we'd, that, would, that was it for us, that we'd, we'd, that we'd made it really, that, that's what we wanted to come to the States. That's man. What's so cool about that to me is, and where I can't relate is that it must have been just this feeling of you know, camaraderie. You're you're with like-minded, like-aged mm. 
group people from your part of town, basically your, you know, your world. And you all kind of decided to approach this same goal together. I, that has to be mm -hmm. a great feeling, you know, to be around people like that, you know, that it's like you're a oh, team. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. We were all sharing the same thing and it all happened so fast. I mean, one minute we were playing a pub um, in the Isle of Man to, you know, 30 people jammed up like sardines. Right. And the next minute we were playing South by Southwest and then we went on a, you know, big tours and and it was it was a huge learning curve. And while it was fantastic uh, to share that, it also blew the whole thing apart. Sure. You know, it just didn't really translate in uh, what we were doing on the Isle of Man. It just didn't really um, work on a bigger scale for us. Mm. And, right. uh, and that was kind of it fizzled out. Yeah. There's another interesting thing that happens with child musicians. I'd like to know mm. the percentages, but like there's, you know, a lot of those bands that are kids together, grow up together, it's one or two that become career musicians in the end. You know what I mean? It, yeah. Normally one, it seems like. I'm curious what, what really the, the percentages would be on that. <laughs> you know, but when, yeah. when, the, when the rubber hits yeah. the road and you really got to make those tough choices, like this is what I am as a person. Yeah, right. Know, not everybody is cut out for that 100%. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think it's when you're faced with no choice, right? Yeah. I mean, it, exactly. it, that's the... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just have absolutely no choice in the matter. We were, we were on tour with Government Mule when it really kind of, to me, like Warren, his repertoire and his ability to cover anything and still make it sound like him at the same time as write these fantastic songs that were all his, but really stemmed from the music that I grew up listening to as well. You know, I shared the same kind of influences. I saw him as this musicologist type, this guy who could do anything, play anything, and, and I saw him as the measure. And uh, I, I saw that, and the other lads weren't really willing to participate. And that, for me, was frightening as a 21-year-old going, holy, you know, we've reached that, we've reached the, the ceiling here. And so it kind of fell apart. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure what the other lads are really doing. Um, but it was, I had no choice. This is what I have to go and do. I want to achieve this and, and keep achieving this. And so it was, you know, off on your own time. But, yep. Yeah. And, and again, the child musician thing was, was strange. We were young and I guess there's always this idea of, oh man, isn't he great for his age? Look at him. He's this skinny little 13 year old or, you know, yep. and it, I, I didn't want to do that. I just, I wanted to be good full stop. Unfortunately, you were that age, so it's like it's it's unavoidable. You know what I mean? But I, I mean, yeah, I dealt with it forever. Yeah. You know, he's so great for you know his age. Look mm -hmm. at this kid, and it's like, well, I just want to be just just judge me on my playing. Don't judge me on anything else. Judge uh -huh. me on my my songs, my my whatever. But it's impossible for people yeah. to separate because it, it's it's still the truth. You know what I mean? So yeah. It was. Yeah. Sure. Sure. It, but eventually, yeah, it's like you grow out of. Dude, I still do. I'm sure you do now. I still deal with constantly, you know, people will tag me in a picture from back then or, you know, ask me questions about that back then or mostly just tell me I saw you when blah, blah, blah. And it's like they don't know what I do now at all. <laughs> have they have you heard any of my right, records? Right. Like, do you have know anything right. about me at all? You know, no, no, not at my all. My favorite thing is the promoters that you, you give you 
give all of this brand new promotional material to and they decide no i'm gonna go find a photo on google on like page 36 yeah. of when you look like you were 12 years old yeah. and you know a hundred pounds and you know here, here you go and i'll put this on the website you know? yeah i love i love yeah. i'm 40 years old and i go into new york city or something to play at you know iridium or bitter end or something and and a bottom line, not bottom line anymore, bitter end. And, and, and it'll, it'll use a bio that they found from 1997 that says, having released his second album by the age of 15, Josh Smith is a true blues virtuoso. And it's like, that's what you that's chose? Bad. Like, where'd you even find it? Let alone, where does it come from? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I hear you. I hear you. Drives me crazy. But I, I, the other, the other kind of slightly arrogant side of me wanted to, to to take these people, kind of throttle them, and say, but, but man, this has never been like an old man's game. Like this is like Clapton was a teenager in the Yardbirds, mm -hmm. and Hendrix was twenty-seven. You know, when he died, this yep. this has always been, you know, young guys. Muddy Waters wasn't an old man his whole life. No. You know, it, it's um, it, it's a, it's a it's a stereotype to try and shake, you know, oh man, this is great new up, you know, he's young and they were all young and they were all young and they all did great things. You well, know, those, those the interviewing all my friends, you know, I come up thinking I'm so unique. I have this person. I was this kid who played in bars at 12 years old and did this. Every one of the people I've interviewed has the same <laughs> fucking story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sure, man. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, all right. So, so then when backdoor slam kind of fizz, you know, ends and then you all decide to part ways, mm -hmm. is it, I'm not going to play any of those songs mm. anymore. I got to write a whole new repertoire or, or is it just immediate pivot <laughs> to calling it Davy Knowles, you know? Well, I, I mean, the label I was signed with at the time, they made this, um, sketchy call. I wanted just under my name, right? I'd, I'd written all of the songs for backdoor slam. Right. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's still my songs. Um, right. But I, I, I wanted to do something new and something different. And I certainly didn't want to just, you know, dismiss all of their hard work. But the label at the time wanted to call it Davy Knowles and Backdoor Slam and, and mm -hmm. uh, the kind of proviso, well, let's do that for one album. And then, then we're off to the races. And, and then the most amazing thing happened in that um, I got to working with Peter Frampton right after that, which was kind of this you know, oh God, I did the right thing. You know, thank God things are progressing. And, you know, um, and that was a wonderful experience working with him. Um, and really the momentum that I kept up with, with Backdoor Slam, it kind of carried on with, with my name. And, and, and that, that was, that was nice to know that, all right, I can do this. I can, this is, I can do this on my own as well. Yeah. Um, and really it just kind of, snowballed into just an enormous amount of touring just way too much touring really in, in hindsight it was um you know i was i was on the road probably 300 days 250 300 days of the year and it was it was too much and by the time the third album had come along i was burnt out i was uh, i was ready to sit down and 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 trying to figure out really who i was um and that took a long time and i lost a lot of momentum as a result but probably gained an enormous amount of sanity right you know um so yeah it was it's just tough finding a balance and i feel like that's just a never-ending quest really you know as life progresses you you find that the right balance between 
what you're doing. Is certainly never ending. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. balancing out the family life. Now, you know, now you're a grown man with a family. You know, you've got to balance mm-hmm. that against you know, the need to be away, uh, the want to even be away and playing gigs. Cause it's something that's sure. personality and something that we love. Um, and then, yeah, uh, the constant push to be yeah. the best you, the most original you, the most honest you as a musician, all those things. It's like, you're just yeah. trying to get them into balance. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And, and, and also the, the happiness, you know, that, that just, uh, the, the general happiness. How long do I really need to be away? I need to, you know, how how can I make this happen? Uh, and at the same time, yeah, I mean, I've I've always been slightly nomadic. My dad was a very nomadic character as well. He was a he was a deep sea diver by profession, so he was wow. away. And and uh, I feel like I inherited that kind of nomadic um, uh, personality for sure. But. Um, yeah, and again, this this kind of uh, the pandemic thing of you you do long to be in between places again. It's not mm-hmm. just being at the gig, being somewhere else. It's the process of doing it that I really love. So yeah, yeah, yeah man. It it took a long time to try and figure out a happy medium. Yep, yep, for sure. You know, I mean, we all just I mean, you're doing the right stuff, man. You're you're putting out your own music. You're you know you're doing it the right way, and I commend you for that. <laughs> Before we get into the 10 questions, I'd be remiss if I didn't <laughs> ask you a little bit about um, just Paul Reed Smith and kind of how that happened oh. for you. I, I'm very interested in that, actually. Uh, like, how did you meet oh, Paul cool. and how did that happen? Well, um, it, it lined up like this without kind of rabbiting on too much. Um, I had just gotten out of a meeting with a very well-known manufacturer who shall go uh, nameless, Um Okay. And uh, I'd, I'd gotten off a tour with Kid Rock and Leonard Skinner doing big arenas. And uh, it was brilliant. And I thought, oh, maybe I've got something on my resume. I can go to these folks. And I, I, I went for a meeting with their artist relations. And the guy sat me down. He said, well, man, you know, look at it this way. You're already playing our instruments. So, And then secondly, like, um, you know, we kind of reached our quota for artists this year. So we'll yeah. try again next time. And I thought this is the dude I wasn't he's representing the company and I thought you know do I really I wasn't asking for anything for free I just wanted to start a relationship with this company and uh, I thought this is this is the person they choose to represent I'm I'm not into it and so I was kind of feeling ah I got this random phone call and it was, hi, this is Jack Higginbotham from Paul Reed Smith Guitars. I got your phone number from your management. They thought you might be interested. My wife has got your album. I really love it. Can we send you a guitar to check out? I was like, absolutely. I'd love that. It was just the most organic kind of, I really like your music. My wife doesn't, you know, would you be interested? Of course I would, my word. And I idolized PRS guitars as a kid and, um, they sent it to me. They next dayed this PRS McCarty uh, to Seattle, where I was at the time, and uh, it arrived in June. I was just like, sold, done, great, this is brilliant. And in the end, I, I ended up doing some PRS clinics and met Paul, and we just hit it off. He's just the, the sweetest guy, and we just had a good time together, and, and really it just kind of shot on from there. To me, what struck me was the instruments are great. 
that's 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 fine you know that they're wonderful great instruments they kind of speak for themselves in that respect whether they are aesthetic or not they're really well-made guitars yeah indeed um to to me that it was the heart of the people that built them and the people that i dealt with and the people i've interacted with that's what sold me on it they're just really good people yep um and i i first and foremost i i want to work with good people that's it yeah it's amazing how simple it is you know on the level that you know we whatever you sometimes get to eventually uh you know not talking out of turn to say things get thrown your way so i you know i've had many people offer me guitars and amps and pedals you know that's just part of this life um and yeah it's it's a Mm -hmm. it's normally i'll go out of my way to work with someone i want to be involved with relationship wise as opposed to just go get the gear that necessarily on the front is what I would normally mm-hmm. gravitate to, but maybe they, they have no interest in really being a partnership with me or even a friendship. And yeah, that, sh- yeah. that normally shapes it much more than the instruments themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, a good example of the kind of heart with PRS was last Christmas, I get a letter from the head of oncology at Johns Hopkins. And I'm just thinking, this is really strange. And I, I open it, I read it through and it's, um, uh, this is to notify you that uh, Paul Reed Smith has made a donation in your name to the, you know, the, the head of the, to, to oncology at Johns Hopkins. I just thought, bloody hell, what, what, what an unbelievably nice thing to do. And another one they did was, I was away on tour, my wife calls and she said, they've sent you a guitar. And I said, oh my God, I wasn't expecting anything. I was really exciting. And I said, open it up, open it up, tell me what it is. And she said, there's a letter, it says, um, it's not for you. This is uh, to give randomly to um, someone who you feel deserves it or to a charity that could benefit from it. And I thought, this, this is the kind of company that I would like to be a part of. Just someone who goes out of their way to do something lovely like this and give me the chance to do something nice. Um, so really, I mean, like I said, the guitars are fabulous, wonderful things. But what really sold me was um, the spirit of the company, really. Well, that's good to hear, man. And I appreciate you, yeah. uh, you know, giving a little insight into that. Yeah, pleasure. All right, let's get into the 10 questions. <laughs> oh, Christ. All right. All right. So you kind of answered both one and two already, but I'm going to ask him anyway. <laughs> All right. When you started learning playing what was the first thing that when you got it under your fingers, you felt this like a sense of accomplishment and it's like that feeling of, Oh my God, I can't believe I figured this out. That's it. You know, I'll I'll do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. I think, I think it was. Yeah. As soon as that came along. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Yeah. You, you figured it out, you know, and it's like, it's that feeling of accomplishment the first time of you really, yeah. really wanted to learn this thing and you got it. It's like, man, no, yeah. nothing feels like that. And suddenly it sounded like that album that I coveted and, you know, for, for so long. This, oh, I could do it now. Yeah. yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. So, and you already said, number two, that's the first solo you, you learn note for note. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that. Oh, man. Yeah. 
yeah. and you'll never it's forget perfect. it. You could be 80 and someone put a guitar in your <laughs> hand and you could play it note for note. Yeah, yeah. And what, what a testament that is to Mark Knopfler's melodicism and lyricism as a oh, player. Yeah. It's, it's just timeless. It's one of those solos, even with as many notes are in it and how long actually it is, sure. non-musicians can sing you that whole solo. They can sing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It, it yeah, man, I've, there's, there's Telegraph Road as well, which stands out to me as one of his greatest songs. And it's 13 minutes long. Yeah. And there are so many guitar parts, but you can sing every single one of them. They're all perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, those were easy, man. You got off. You, we already talked. Yeah. About all right. All what, right. I'm getting nervous. What's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Do your hands just go somewhere and play something automatically? Oh. Or like when you first get a guitar or try a guitar, do you have something you do to kind of, you know, feel comfortable? I guess there's this kind of David grissom kind of thing in G, like a... <laughs> You know, something like that, that that's kind of meaty. I, I mm. guess that's what kind of where I go immediately. Nice. Yeah, I mine's in G now. It used to be an E. Yeah. And uh, but it right. transitioned into G over the years. <laughs> Let's hear it. What is it? Well, it's it's basically it used to be this in E, but everybody made mm -hmm. fun of me because I played it. You would hear my I'd flip the standby on the amp, and then immediately this would come out. <laughs> You know, something like that. It would be, I'd be checking That's my amp amazing. and that would just come out. And next thing I knew, bass players would be playing it back to me before I could even do it. You know what I mean? It'd be like, because they knew it was coming. So eventually it moved into this. Something like that. What is Pretty... wrong? That's the most amazing thing. That sounds like the most like glorious intro to... to to everything just it's, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's fantastic inevitably if i pick up a guitar i will play that like you know <laughs> if any like random off the cuff video you see of me that i didn't take on youtube or instagram there's a almost a 99 percent chance that at the beginning of that video if i sit down in a music store or something that's the first thing that comes out <laughs> i think i think uh what we need next is natasha kornblatt to make uh, a kind of a, a whole video of every single time you've done it on the internet, right? Yeah. I'm let's sure make like a, a. There's many. Let's make a mashup of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number four. What do you uh -huh. hear in here? Like, what's the narration that happens during the day when you're cooking or when you're driving? Is there a groove, a key, a style? I'm hearing a shuffle. I'm hearing an improv, somebody blowing. I'm hearing. Something. I'm hearing, and it never stops. Literally, it's almost 24 hours a day. Do you have anything like that? Wow. You know, that's, that's an amazing question. I, I think mine is a little less upbeat. I think if I'm hearing something, it's, it's more. Uh, it's more kind of a, a, a atmospheric, I guess, and I'm trying to think of, you know, something that's just real, uh, I don't know, more of like a, I don't know. 
those kinds of. So you're hearing that, minor that all that. the time, man. You're hearing minor. Yeah, I think so. I, th I think a, a lot more kind of a lot a lot sadder. I'm all right. I'm all right. Promise. Just just kind of more. <laughs> <laughs> it's been you interesting. Know? Everybody's answer has been so different. They all have something. Really? You know, most of them are. It's depending on what they're working on. Like if they're working on something, they'll just have something living there for weeks on end. And other guys have yeah. things like 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 what I'm saying that just lives in there all the time. You know, but yeah. it, they've all been very different. Yeah. Man, yeah, that's that's a really interesting, yeah, all right. interesting thing. All right, number five. When did you mm -hmm. feel like you kind of started to find your voice on the instrument? Like, when did the pivot happen from? You're learning all your favorite stuff by all your heroes. And then all of a sudden, maybe something happens by accident or someone you get a reaction out of audience or something by something you play. And it like kind of opened your eyes to like, I should do more of this. This is my path. Was there, was there a moment like that? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I struggle. Um, I feel like I'm still finding that. I feel like that's a very much an ongoing thing, but, um, Sometimes I feel like, uh, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I haven't found that yet. Um, but I, I, think, I think it's always been a, a goal from the moment I wanted to write songs, which was really early on. It was, you know, I, I need to write a song. I need to write that. That's where the guitar aspect comes in for me. Um, so, so I think the intent to do that came with really early on with songwriting, but the actual um, achievement of it, I feel is an ongoing thing. Well, and it is, you sharpen it and, and, and mm -hmm. you keep going. Once you even are aware of maybe what makes you, you, you keep going further down that path to make it even more. So yeah, you know, like this is my thing and this is what I do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, cause for me, I had a lot of moments as a kid, you know, of obsession with certain players, like you said, you know, so you, you had Mark Knopfler. I was obsessed with B, with that, with BB, then with Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, then with Danny Gatton, mm -hmm. it was like, I, you know, my Stevie period, that was all I did was sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan. But then I saw grown men, sure. you know, that was all they did. And it was like, okay, I need this, right. to do this, you know? Yeah. 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 For sure. And, and I, I, I found that same thing about Stevie Ray as much as I adore him. As, as a musician, his style seemed so infectious um, to a lot of people to get that kind of neck pickup, that whole, those kinds of things. I, I immediately wanted to stay clear of that. And yeah. so, so I, I felt like as much as I loved listening to it, and that was when I, when I found someone like Rory Gallagher, who mm. had this unbelievably unique, very Celtic yeah. thing, which appealed to my corner of the world. Those kinds of licks, you know, that became my Stevie Ray, if you like. Well, we'll talk the about my an individual thing. voice, man. That's somebody yeah. who found his thing, you know, and, and yeah. went as far as he could in service of that, you know. Totally uh, uncompromised, yeah. just kind of bullheaded, really. It was wonderful. Yeah, but that's such a, I mean, that's such a great, you know, whatever statement to, of declaration. Like you have to, that's what it yeah. takes to kind of be your own man in this, you know, you want to, improvisation is such a tricky thing because you're dealing with, mm -hmm. 
with music that's strict you know there may be certain chord changes there's rules there's things that work and things that don't and you can ignore them Mm -hmm. people's ears can be forgiving your ears can be forgiving but but you know in the end we're playing in this giant sandbox and what Mm -hmm. do you do in there to like create something that's yours when everybody has access to the same information you know and it's right right no man no, it's it's a total art form. Yeah. 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 All right, good answer. Number six. <laughs> what's your biggest weakness on the guitar, man? Mine is oh. is uh like finger picked acoustic, like really pretty, arpeggiated. Like if I needed to be James Taylor, I would struggle, you know, to do that type of stuff. What what's yours? I'm gonna I'm gonna say with accuracy, uh and and um and and really kind of vocabulary from from a theory point of view um i i I always wanted to be a guitar player but my goal as a guitar player was never to be uh, you know knowledgeable in absolutely everything it was always to facilitate what i wanted to write about Mm. i wanted to be a guitar player that wrote songs and therefore could play what I wanted to do, but maybe the song was the thing, right? And and in that in that pursuit, I think I've also ignored a lot of technique, a lot of things that um, probably from a vocabulary standpoint have hindered me improvising wise. You know, I I, I kind of stick with the same uh, the the kind of regular pentatonic stuff and my minor. And then you know my kind of accuracy too. I'm not that accurate, and, and I feel like, especially when I'm live and I'm all jazzed up, let's go, let's go, let's go. That goes out the window as well. It's just kind of noise. So I, I don't feel like I have, um, you know, I'm, I can't compete on Instagram Guitar Challenge. You know, it's just. <laughs> you don't want to, man. You don't want to compete. <laughs> well, that you know, it's a different path. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different path. Yes. All right. Fair enough. Who's a huge influence on your music or playing that people would be really surprised to hear? Oh, man. I am the massive, I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. Ah, I adore Billy that, Joel. That, that surprises me right off the bat. Okay. <laughs> I, and I run the whole gamut of Joel. I'm not just talking about, you know, it's not just. Uh, so it's not Step it's Brothers, not just, Catalina, Wine Mixer, 80. We strictly nah, play man. 80s Joel, ma'am. You're, you're all for no it. Way. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Everything. Everything. Cold Spring Harbor to River of Dreams. I am, I am a huge Billy Joel fan. I just feel like his sense of melody is incredible is not a Joel fan and and the argument goes like she says it's terrible it's cheesy I hate it and I say but even though you hate it you know every single song and you can sing them because they're that good because they're just so melodic that the, the melody is beautiful I, I I'm, I'm a huge fan <laughs> all right that was a good answer yeah. and completely got me thanks man I wouldn't have thought that's a, that's a good answer all right Okay, would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa? A terrible guitar but a great amp. That's really hard. Um, 
I'm going to say a really great amp. Yeah. Because I, I feel like a, an amp will kind of, a, a really good amp will, will help you with a terrible guitar, whereas a terrible guitar is going to sound and feel terrible no matter what you plugged into. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The amp is more important to me. And it's definitely uh -huh. the audience will get a better show out of me with any guitar and a, and a good amp that I can get a consistent sound from versus even my uh -huh. guitar and some piece of junk like that. It, yeah, right. I take the amp every time. Which is which is kind of with the progression of, of um, how we tour or how we used to tour uh, has made it really difficult because now you're kind of faced with flying around. You can't use your own amp and, and you have to address that whole problem. And that's where pedal boards come in and um, trying to find that, you know, familiarity wherever you go is really difficult. And yeah, yeah I'm with you. When I've got my own rig, everything is great. But yeah, I mean, uh, and that's that's the it's thing difficult. I think people f forget when they, you know, we all are obsessive about gear. We love gear. We're nerds. And then you've got the other end of the mm -hmm. spectrum, the blues people and the purists who, who don't understand, you know, why do you need all that shit? You know, what do you need these pedals for? What do you need that for? You know, this guy just plugs straight into the amp. Can't you do that? And it's not just about the gear. It's, it's about the comfort factor. If you want to get the best show out of me as an audience member, then you want me as comfortable as possible, which means having my own stuff and the stuff that makes mm -hmm. me feel good. So if it makes yeah. me feel good to have this shit, then you should be happy I've got it. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. The, the, other, the other thing for that is me having all of this shit isn't harming you or the guy that only plugs into an amp. Exactly. So what is the beef? Yeah. You know? They don't see it that way, though. They see it that way. No. This is, this is a personal affront to them. That you're, you know, <laughs> un unfair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People, people get really rally, you know, riled up about it. Yep, yep. Yeah, I will argue that till I'm blue in the face. I don't mind having. I'm with you. Yeah. All right. I'm on your side. Number nine, dude. What keeps you motivated and pushing forward to be better every day? Like, you know, obviously you've got financial concerns that keep you motivated, mm -hmm. but I'm talking more like what keeps you motivated to be a better guitar player, a better musician, a better writer, better singer. Uh, where do you get the inspiration to be better tomorrow than today? Other oh, music. Uh, I just being a music fan. I'm a huge music fan. I absolutely, um, I would much rather sell my guitars than my record collection. Like this is, I absolutely adore music. Yeah. So like, like today, um, I found this artist on Dan Auerbach's label called Early James. Yeah, and I've been obsessed with the, the, the album he's just put out. Yeah. It's a great record. And there's this one song, uh, one song on it. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter now. And I've been listening to it and I was like, just such a great song. And I'm thinking, I want to write a song like that. I want to, I, that is a great tune. And so it's, it's listening to other people and what they've achieved and um, what you can draw from it, not plagiarize, but what you can, absorb about it and that i think that's what keeps me going dude it's amazing when people can't relate to that i don't understand like what do you mean you don't you don't mm -hmm. have that inside you like where this obsession about music or something just turns you on so much that it takes over your life for 
six days, mm -hmm. this record, you know, or, or yeah. something. It's like, but, but people, I mean, dude, in today's day and age, people don't absorb music or even appreciate it the way that we're used to. And, and we're not even right. the, the great generation. Think about the, the, our parents, you know, really going to buy vinyl and owning all these. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, I had to make a trip to a record store. I had to order records you know, at, at the beginning because I couldn't get them. I had cassettes out the wazoo, people dubbing me tapes. Mm -hmm. You know, my son, your child will never own records in their whole life. You know, right. they will stream everything. Well. And, and it's lessened the impact that the music then has on them, which is really yeah. disappointing. It's, it's without, because I can get on a soapbox about this real easy. And I can, I can really kind of hammer home my personal feelings about it. It's not going to change Spotify's bottom line. Nope. And it's, it's not going to solve the problems. So I try not to do it. But the, devaluate, kind of, the devaluing of music is such a problematic thing and such a frightening prospect that music is a disposable commodity. Um, and that, that frightens me so much culturally. I, I, I wasn't part of that generation you talked to, but I, the same principles applied. I remember saving up my pocket money, getting the bus into Douglas, the capital, where the only record store was, going and with a finance amount of pocket money, going, I want 10 of these CDs, yeah. but I can only afford one, and, and really deliberating over which one I'm going to get. And when I decided it gave me this amazing feeling. I covered this. This is a thing I have earned and I've completed this circle that the artist yep. has done. And now it's mine to learn from and enjoy. And that's gone. Yep. And, and that, that sense of coveting something is gone. And that makes me so sad. Um, and that's why I'm a record so collector. It's so sad. And, you know, I was realizing, so I found a record a few days ago that has like stopped me in my tracks by this guy, Emmanuel Wilkins on Blue Note. Mm -hmm. And I've listened to it every day for the last few days, multiple times. It's probably the, the uh, had more impact on me than any new record I've heard in, in at least two years. And mm -hmm. I went to think, okay, do I, do I order this on CD? And I realized both the cars we have now have no CD player. My computers no longer have a CD player. Yeah. I don't have one in the house anywhere where I would actually no. sit down and listen. So then it was like, well, do I order it on vinyl? And it's like, well, my record player broke like a year ago and I don't have, I haven't replaced it, you know? Cause I'm just, either I'm home, I'm listening in the studio or I'm on the go and I'm listening on, you know, off of an iPad type thing, you know, a player that yeah. I have. And it's like, do I even need to buy this physically? But it's my first initial thought is I have to buy this physically. Yeah. And yeah, man, what a frustrating feeling that is. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard vinyl guy, not, not for the sound quality, but because for 40 minutes out of a day where it's normally like this, um, for 40 minutes, I can sit down and absorb something else and, and put myself into an escape. And, and I think that's vital. So my, my stance with the whole streaming, the whole, that, that whole argument is not so much the financial thing, but from a, a human well-being. And, and just what people are missing out on, on, on actually that discovery of music in a physical format. Yep. Yep. And yet, if we don't post our stuff, our music in this world, we get left behind. 
So it's really disappointing. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's legal piracy. It's an oxymoron, the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Because as much as your fans want to support you and say they're going to buy the record, they're really going to listen to it mm-hmm. on Spotify. Yeah, and 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 here's it, a lot of the a lot of the folks that buy the, the records or will say something. Well, I'm I'm a premium subscriber, but the, here's it doesn't matter. And what's that's what people don't really realize. For us to earn an hour of minimum wage uh, is about three and a half thousand plays of one song. Yeah, and that's what people don't realize. If if that was general knowledge, yeah, maybe we could get something changed. Anyway, what was the question? I'm sorry, mate. That was it. <laughs> Uh, but it's music that keeps you motivated <laughs> discovery of new yeah, absolutely love of music yeah. and uh, i can relate uh all right number 10 dude where do yeah. you want to be in five years is there a five year uh, do you want to be you know is it keep on keeping on or do you have like a real goal in mind a new level you're trying to reach what's what's the next big big step oh man two two answers to this one the the kind of answer i've always given to to this is i just want to keep doing it because it's such an uncertain thing and now more than ever it's such an uncertain profession yep um i want to keep doing this i love it Uh, i believe wholeheartedly this is what i'm supposed to be doing not a religious man i just feel wholeheartedly that is what i'm supposed to be doing yep um but the, the other side of it is I, uh, it's, it's a, it's a stressful job. It can be an anxiety inducing job, uh, especially from someone who suffers for anxiety at the get go, you know, it's, it's tough. And, and so as a result, uh, five years, I want to still be doing it and I want to still be happy doing it. I think that's, that's it. That's not too much to ask. I don't think so. I don't think so. But more than anything, you just got to keep your head down and work hard and, and, and do what you love, right? In whatever job you're doing. So yep. yeah. that's, that's what I'd like to do. Ruling. Well, dude, we've reached the end of the 10 questions uh, for members. Join now <laughs> if you're not a member. Uh, and if you are a member, we're going to have our turn two video. with. We're going to teach you two licks. Uh, but for non-members, this is the end of your road. So, Davey, dude, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure wow. to kind of hear your story. And, again, I love what you're doing, man. And I hope when the world gets back to normal, we get to get together and, and do some hanging and playing soon. I'd love that. Thank you so much, mate. It's been an honor and a privilege. Yeah, thank you, man. All right, members, we'll be right back.